Let us take a moment to pray before we think about God's Word. Holy Spirit, come among us and soften our hearts to the Word of God. Holy Spirit, come among us and help us to follow after Jesus. Holy Spirit, come among us with power and deep conviction, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In the New Testament, we have four books on the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they wrote it for a purpose. I wonder what you would say their purpose was. Why did these authors write these books? So if you feel able and you're close enough to someone, maybe turn to a neighbor and share with them just for 30 seconds, the first thought comes to mind. Why did they write these books? And if you're at home, um, then do post something in the live chat. So 30 seconds, why did these authors write these books? Over to you. Well, I'm sure there are probably uh, many answers to that, and we'll see later on uh, what comes up in the live chat about why, what people at home maybe thought if they feel able to share that. But if I was to, to ask our wider community, the parish, I wonder what they might say. I, I wonder if they would describe these books as simply a means of passing on religious morals and stories. I wonder if they would describe it as a kind of propaganda even. I wonder even if I asked them, do you think there's any relevance in these books, what they might say? I suspect that many people would say no. I suspect many people might say, well, there might be if you're religious, but there might even be some who say, well, this book is dangerous. It's oppressive even. Because over uh, my summer break, um, I read this book. It's called A War of Loves, and it's written by a celibate gay Christian. And it partly describes his journey from hostile atheist to a passionate follower of Jesus. And at one time, he would have said the Bible was dangerous and oppressive. And he wanted nothing at all to do with Christianity. But then he came face to face with Jesus. And that changed everything. Friends, we might summarize the, the reasons for these books in the New Testament as to invite, encourage, and enable people of all ages to follow Jesus. And that is our purpose also as a church. The, the authors, they wanted people to know about Jesus. And by hearing about Jesus, choose to follow Jesus. And by choosing to follow Jesus, recognizing then that need some help to know how to follow Jesus, and so they include material for that too. They were willing to do this. They were willing to prioritize this and to put their lives on the line because something changed their perspective. Just like that young author I read about the last two weeks. They all met Jesus, and by meeting Him and learning to follow Him, their outlook on life changed forever. Our passage today is one of those moments, one of those moments when the disciples themselves have their perspective on Jesus challenged and stretched. 
If you look back in, in the book of Luke at chapter 5, that's when Jesus called his disciples. And since that point, he's mostly taught. He's done a couple of miracles. And, and so probably in many people's minds, they're beginning to think, well, who is this guy? Who is this guy? Maybe he's a prophet. You know, like prophets, they challenge people. And so Jesus is certainly causing a bit of a ruckus and challenging the religious leaders. Uh, but prophets did miracles as well. So maybe Jesus is just another prophet. Sure, a great prophet, but just another old prophet. But then one day, Jesus tells his disciples they're going to the other side of the lake. And among these disciples are some experienced fishermen. So the journey's not unfamiliar, and they know how to handle a boat. And so off they go, not giving it a second thought. And at some stage in the sail, things are so calm that Jesus, he falls asleep in, in the boat. And the disciples continue on with the task of getting him to the other side. Maybe they're, they're talking, maybe they're thinking about all they've seen and heard and about this individual who now rests in their midst. And then at some stage, a squall, a windstorm comes upon them. And that wasn't unusual in that particular area because the surrounding topography created those kind of events. But it's a particularly bad one. These experienced fishermen are scared for their lives. And so they cry out to Jesus, Master, Master, we're going to drown. Upon waking and assessing the situation, Jesus calls out to the wind and to the waves. He speaks to them, and the storm suddenly dies down, and all becomes calm. The disciples are left feeling both fear and amazement. And they say to one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Is he just a teacher? Is he a, a prophet? Is he maybe something more? Because they would have known from the Old Testament that God is described this way. You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. Who is this? Who is this amongst the disciples? but appears to be God, God in human form, because He has authority and power. And if you look on in that same chapter, the next three stories reinforce this. Jesus has power and authority over nature, over the spiritual forces of darkness, over illness, and even over death. And in time, the disciples would journey with Jesus and see him die upon the cross, be buried, but then raised to life again. And all this would convince them that he is the Son of God, God in human form. And they would be willing to share this at risk to their life, even imprisonment and death, because they were fully persuaded that Jesus is God. He is God in human form with all power and authority. And the Apostle Paul would one day write about this to the church in Colossae, saying, the Son is the image of the invisible God. In Him all things were created. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him. Friends, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? 
And might I ask, what or who has supremacy in your life? The disciples in our story were asked by Jesus, where is your faith? Where is your faith? Basically, in whom or in what is your faith? We've all placed it somewhere. Our new members today, they affirm that their faith is in Jesus, that He alone is God. He has supremacy in their life. They take off the crown and give it to Jesus. He's their Lord. He's their King. He's the one to whom they give control of their lives because He has all power and authority. He's more than a mere prophet or teacher. So, who is Jesus to you? And what has supremacy in your life? In our local community, there will be many answers to both of those questions. Some people might say that it's work or success or popularity that has supremacy. That's the aim of life. That's what you have to aim for. Some people will prioritize family. Family should have supremacy in your life. For some individuals, it will be circumstances or a particular experience which will define their identity. A, a loss, a, a, an illness, a, a really negative experience, that's what defines their life. That's what defines their, their values. That defines their future. And still others that I've met within our community, they will turn and say supremacy is found in darker spiritual forces like tarot card reading or maybe a group that they belong to. That group is the place that gives them identity. And that group has the supremacy. That group tells them what they can and can't do. So what or who is Jesus to you? And what or who has supremacy in your life? Because the claim of the Christian faith is that Jesus is God. He alone is God. And as such, He should have first place in our lives. And to have anything else above Jesus is to commit the sin of idolatry. And, we, you know, we can turn even good things into idols. Because, as, as John Calvin reminds us, the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. We just churn out idol after idol, even the good things. And we put other things before Jesus. So, friends, who is Jesus to you? And will you allow him to have supremacy in your life? Now, don't think this is just for, for folks who are new to church or folks who don't come to church. Because this was an important lesson for the disciples to learn too. They needed to learn this to do what Jesus asked them to do next. Because if you go on in the book of Luke, we read this. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal those who were ill. Jesus, who is God in the flesh, who has all authority and power, He delegates some of that power and authority to His disciples. Now, we might say, well, that was just the twelve. Well, go on to the next chapter, what do we see? The Lord appointed seventy-two others and sent them two by two ahead of Him to every town and place where He was about to go. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. So, he gives power and authority to the 12 and to the 72. And can you imagine being one of those disciples? Can you imagine it? One of the fun things to do with Scripture is to imagine yourself there. Can you imagine it? Jesus comes along and says, hey, could you go and heal someone? Hey, 
could you go and cast out that demon? What would be your reaction? Would you be all cool, calm, and collected? I think inside I'd be slightly freaking out. I'd be like, mm, really? Really me? And when you left and you came across that first unwell or demon-possessed person, how ready and willing would you be to do what Jesus has done? To give it a shot? Like, imagine that. Standing in front of that person and knowing that Jesus has sent you to do what he's been doing. Imagine that. Would you feel up for it? Could you do it right now? I suspect many of us wouldn't. And to, for those disciples to be willing to follow through on that call from Jesus, they needed to know that Jesus was more than a mere man. And they needed to be committed to him more than to their own comfort, because they were going to have to get out their comfort zone, and to more than what seemed possible, because to the rational mind, this is just crazy. Now, why am I bringing this up? Well, often I think our perception of what it means to follow Jesus is quite limited. We limit it to verses or ideas that we are comfortable with, and we push aside a greater vision of Jesus and a greater vision of what it means to follow Jesus. One author puts it this way. It's a wee bit jargony, but it's worth reading. It is a tragedy that the Christian religion is in many minds identified merely with pious ethical behavior, turning up to church, saying prayers, and vague theistic beliefs, you know, some weird ideas about God, suffused with aesthetic emotionalism, so it makes you feel better, and a mild glow of humanitarian benevolence, so you end up doing some good stuff for your neighbor. This is not the faith which first awakened the world like a thousand trumpets and made people feel it blessed to be alive in such a dawn. At one time, people knew what Christianity really was, the entrance into history of a force of immeasurable range. What does it mean to follow Jesus to you? Is it about morals? Is it about knowing some good stories and turning up to church? Is it about being a good neighbor? Is it about making you feel better? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Because those things aren't necessarily bad, they're just not the whole picture. Because Jesus later on, by the same author, says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. The church, apparently, has power. If you follow Jesus, you have a power within you to be His witness. Now, why is that important? Why am I laboring this? Well, if we reduce Christianity to morals and old stories and religious duty and a warm, fuzzy blanket, then we rob Jesus of glory and we rob ourselves and our children of what we need to follow Jesus. Because today we heard one of our promises that many of us have made, one of our membership promises, and it says this, do you promise, depending on the grace of God, to profess publicly your loyalty to Jesus Christ, to serve Him in your daily work, and to walk in His ways all the days of your life? And in our last teaching series, if you remember, on grace, we learned that grace is intrinsically tied to God's power. And here in this context of this promise, it's the power to equip us and the power to sustain us. 
And without a greater vision of Jesus, and without a greater vision of what it means to follow Jesus, we will not publicly profess our loyalty to Jesus. We will shy away from that. Oh, I'm not a Christian. I don't go to church. And we will never invite anyone else to know Jesus. Because we will shy away from it. Because we will not rely on God's power. And our children and our children's children will not walk in His ways all the days of their lives if again we and they don't learn to rely on the one whose power can still the storms and whose power now resides in you and me. We need to recover a Christianity that is more than turning up to church and being nice. Because if that's all it is, I'm walking out the door and not coming back. Because I can't be bothered with that. And you know, too many of us are not like this with our faith. We are timid. And many of our young people are timid because we're not passing on to them a faith that makes them anything otherwise. We're timid in our faith. And it's got nothing to do with being an introvert or an extrovert. So please don't give me that excuse. It has more to do with our conviction of who Jesus is and who we are as his disciples. Do we really believe he's God with all power and authority? Do we really believe that we are called and empowered to be witnesses and make known the kingdom of God? Will we keep our faith in Jesus and hold on to his promises and allow him to have supremacy in our lives, even over our comfort or what seems possible? Or will we become fearful? The disciples became fearful in this story because they did not hold on to the promises God made, God in Jesus. He said they were going to the other side. It wasn't a wish. This was going to happen. This was a promise. But when surrounded by that storm, they forgot what he said, and they were gripped by fear rather than by faith. Are we a church who are gripped by fear or by faith? Are we laying hold of God's Word, even the uncomfortable bits? Or do we minimize Jesus and what it means to follow Him to what is familiar and comfortable? And by doing that, are we robbing Jesus of glory? And are we robbing ourselves and our children of what we need to follow Jesus? You know, over the years, I've learned different ways to help me have a broader vision of Jesus and nurture ways that help me understand more of Jesus and what it means to follow Him. And there are, there are various things, but you'll not be surprised by now that I'm going to recommend you some books. <laughs> books are my thing. I like reading stories. And usually once a year, I try and read a book that is more about someone else's story. And so the recent book was A War of Loves. But I could recommend you book after book. Here are some. Chasing the Dragon, Red Moon Rising, God's smuggling, a war of loves, as I've mentioned, surprised by the power of the Spirit or the hiding place. These are real people's stories across the decades, across situations, demographics, countries, but they all tell a real-life story of how someone met with Jesus, and by meeting with Jesus, their vision of Jesus was enlarged 
And they were helped to hold on to the promises that are there in Scripture. Friends, maybe your one takeaway from today is to go get one of these books and have a read. And then come back to me with your questions, because I'm sure there'll be some. There is more to Jesus. There is more to following Jesus than what any of us know. And if our perspective of Jesus is to grow, if our self-understanding of what it means to follow Jesus is to mature, if we are to have boldness to live for Jesus and our readiness to let Him have the supremacy in our lives, then we need to get to know Jesus better. And we need to get to know His promises and His Word better and hold on in faith to Him and to those promises. I pray it may be so. Amen. We close our